All right. Good afternoon and welcome to our fourth podcast of Out on a Limb, y'all. Going to be our discussion today of two novels, Felix Ever After and Luna. And this is a continuing discussion between four ELA teachers. I think that to that point, I think that's why the, the article that you were referencing, Bridget, talks about how important the diversity in representation is. And this yes. might be a good time to kind of segue over to talking about Felix Ever After. Um, because Felix, I think, hits a mark that that same article talks about being a, a a room for growth kind of area within literature about the trans community, which is representing people of color. Um, and while Luna, I think, very much strikes us as a typical suburban white middle-class family, Felix has a very different setup, both in terms of its location, but also Felix himself, who is, not only black, but also queer and trans. Um, and so provides a very different look at a trans experience compared to that of what Luna went through. So I guess um, to start us off, um, Luna is actually um, about a young trans woman who um, for part of the novel is known as Liam and for another part is Luna, and they kind of pass back and forth. But um, what's interesting to me about this novel is that it's not told from Luna's perspective. It's told from the perspective of her sister, Reagan. And Reagan is largely um, Luna's confidant. She's one of the only people who knows that um, who everyone else sees as Liam is actually tra a trans female and is um, her sister, Luna. And so um, a lot of that plays out. And I thought it was very interesting that that point of view focused instead of on the trans person, on the sister and on uh, who is hetero heteronormative and um, cisgender. And her reactions to a lot of what's going on within Luna's life and the way that people are reacting to her and how she very much saw herself, um, Reagan saw herself as Luna's protector in many ways. Um, and at kind of a denouement within the, um, the book itself, you know, it, it, they kind of come to this understanding that Reagan in some way is going to have to let Luna kind of learned to protect herself and learned to step out. Um, and so like, what did you guys think about that point of view and that, that shifting back and forth? Um, I was thinking about the point of view with what you said, about you know, it was 16 ish years ago. And I was thinking about the point of view as you were describing it again. And it almost makes me wonder if it, was written that way because in that time you have to think about how much times have changed over the last decade and a half um, for us to even sit and have a conversation about, you know, a trans male or a trans female is not uncommon in 2021, but 2006, if I, I just look back and remember my life in 2006, that was nowhere on my radar. So I'm wondering 
as the author was writing, I feel like we probably knew more of what our reactions would be rather than knowing as much of it from um, the Luna's perspective. Because back then, I say back then, it wasn't that long ago, but at that point in time, you did not see as many people being as vocal about being trans male or trans female. At that time, you still had a lot of people who felt like they had to hide that about themselves, just like Luna does in the book. But we all, I say we all, but most people knew what their reaction would be. We, we kind of knew as an outsider of that trans community how we would react. Mm -hmm. But not many people knew how the trans individual would be dealing with such a hard process, especially as a teenager. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. If you look at the discussion questions that the author gives us at the end of the book, number six says, why do you think this story is told from the point of view of Reagan? And then on top of that, she asks, how would you feel if your sister or brother was transgender? And so while this story is great in and of itself, I think the whole point of the author trying to write this story during this time was not only to put the issue of how society treats transgender folks in you know, in, in schools and families, um, but also how we respond to the transgender folks. So I think it does both in a really cool way by showing us Reagan's response, because for me, you know, I identify more with Reagan than I'm going to identify with what so I can see myself. I wonder how I would have responded there based on how Reagan responded. And I think that's kind of the structure or the reason for that structure in that case. And then I also think it's interesting if you look at the next question in the discussion, it says, have you ever been entrusted with an enormous secret like the one that Luna shares with Reagan? And then how did you deal with it? And of course, we've all, you know, we've all been told secrets. We all have held confidences. And so I think it really kind of opens up the door to what's going on here. And that's really kind of uh, what drives the plot, you know, from, from scene to scene is that there is a secret here and Reagan is keeping the secret. And it's not just from, from folks at school. The, the big part of the secret is hiding it from mom and dad or, or, or pretending that it doesn't really exist. Um, and so then, you know, the, the whole resolution and the denouement is the, is how this secret comes out and how the people respond to the secret. And I just thought it was really great how the author, you know, handled that and helps us to grow and to learn as we read the story. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. When we were talking last week, um, one of the articles that we discussed last week talked about how often young adult literature is seen as a form of bibliotherapy. And I could definitely see where a text like Luna could be beneficial for providing a different perspective for students who in 2006 probably had very few friends who would identify as gay and probably even fewer who would be out about their trans identity. Uh, and so I think writing it from the perspective of Reagan, who, as Melissa said, is heteronormative, is someone that 
might be more relatable to a heteronormative student body mm-hmm. provides a window at least to consider that different perspective. Um, but I, I do think it, it falls short on authentically representing Luna's voice. And so I can't help but think about, you know, the trans kid in 2006 who's reading this text and maybe hearing echoes of their own fears and their own worries about how their father would react or how their family would be affected, but also not seeing their own experience represented except as filtered through Reagan. Uh, I think that bothered me. I I enjoyed the text. Uh, I thought it was beautifully written in a lot of ways, but it did bother me that we didn't really get Luna's voice. It's like a tension. Yeah, I think I think that's interesting too, Lindsay. Um, it's almost as if the text itself kind of um, not marginalizes, um, because of course lo- the name of the text is Luna, um, so it doesn't necessarily marginalize Luna's perspective, but it almost privileges continues to privilege um, the heteronormative cisgender perspective. And when we get into the reasons why we want to teach texts like these, um, transsexual texts, um, the reasons behind that are for representation. And so when you have a book that is about a trans person, but is only focused on more concretely, um, we get the internal struggles of Reagan, which we don't get when there's a you know a plethora of issues and struggles that these trans youth are going through. We don't get that representation. Are we doing a disservice to the small portion of the population, or are we making it more accessible for those of us to come to an understanding of that smaller portion of the population? And I think the question is, like, when we toggle back and forth between those, is it more important to represent the trans perspective in uh, in a trans narrative or to make it accessible to those of us so that we learn? And I think a lot of times we kind of get caught up into, well, these are the people who are going to get the most benefit out of this text. But I think if we kind of divorce ourselves, um, as Luna almost does, from the actual internal struggles of the trans narrative, um, then we're doing a larger disservice to these, you know, grossly underrepresented individuals. And giving youth who are going through this struggle that representation, letting them see, as our other text Felix points out a good bit, um, giving them a an understanding that there are other people out there, kind of giving them that language and that terminology through which to label themselves um, gives them kind of a sense of belonging, which I think is kind of largely absent in many ways from Luna. Yeah, I, I, I think you're hit, both of y'all hit the nail on the head. Um, I think if we go back to 2006, and we're sitting in a room talking about this book, I think we would be talking about how progressive it is 
We're excited to share some of our thoughts with you. My name, again, is Damon. And I'm Lindsay. And as Damon said, our text for this week's episode are Luna by Julianne Peters and Felix Ever After by Kaysen Callender. Um, these two texts are interesting as kind of bookends for a development of a specific subset of YA lit, where we're looking at representations of trans people in their teenage years through literature. Luna was published in 2006, Felix Ever After is 2020. And so we'll be looking at how that representation differs in both of these texts. And in 2020, we look back, yeah, there was still see. so much room to grow at that point. Um, and it made me think of Felix, um, Felix and Ezra. And um, I think it's Ezra is the one that tells you, that's, tells Felix this, and it comes up a couple times in the novel. When you mess up or when you make a mistake, you learn and you grow from it. And I think what you're seeing over here in the development of the literature over the last 15 years is, I, I don't want to call Luna a mistake by any stretch of imagination. I think it's an incredibly, really well done book. But now we have room and we have uh, a market um, we have people that are able to accept um, and we can push, you know, we can grow. Uh, we've learned from Luna and now we can grow uh, even more with Felix. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I wanted to mention something too in um, piggybacking off of that, going into the Boyd and Bairder article um, on page 17 um, they said, we also suggest as an extension of our activity, bringing in informational texts on current events to read in conjunction with the narratives. This might help students further identify incongruities in societal understanding, stereotypes and policies. And the reason why I'm mentioning that now, even though it says informational text, is because what Damon was saying about this is how we can start a process with these young minds, how we can grow. And they're able to take what they've read and not just de you know, debate feelings in class like you saw in the discussions in this article, um, but also they're able to take that and go out into the world mm. with that. So even yeah. though they've, you know, they've, ha they've had a front row experience to Felix's story or Luna's story, even though that's you know, fiction, that, that story does happen in the world and it gives them a little bit more of an awareness and not only that but i also feel like um when you have a student in your class whether um it's a student in lindsay's you know high school class or my sixth grade class who is feeling all of these feelings of you know they're they're not in the right body. Um, they they don't feel like they are who society thinks they should be. When they see these characters and these representations, especially if they're accurate representations, a lot of times these kids will be more apt to discuss that because they're not discussing themselves. They're discussing this said character in a text. And it's it allows them to actually, I would say, um, explore what they're feeling 
a little bit more because they can dig into it with the characters rather than completely opening themselves up for critique at that point. If that makes sense, if you are following me at all. Yeah, I, 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 it always, it always struck me. Um, it's, it's said within the book, but it's also on the back cover of Felix Ever After, um, where it says that Felix very much felt like he's one marginalization too many. And you see that kind of playing out in the novel where even within his group of friends, which um, we, we could kind of think of him in terms of, in many ways, he's privileged as a trans individual because he is surrounded by um, a group of friends that are all in some way part of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, but even within that community, he is kind of feeling himself set apart or separate or overlooked or even by some of those that are in that community, um, there's, there's certain levels of hatred or bias that are kind of thrown his way and he starts doubting his own self-worth, doubting whether or not he is actually worthy of love. Um, and I thought that was a very interesting dynamic. It, it, it showed a... I'm Bridget. Oh. I'm Melissa. A situation where what he, where his his presentation and his who he is is accepted, but there's still that kind of internalized struggle of, but the rest of society, or, um, you know, even and they they get into this uh, a couple of times when they have. Um, the, the groups on gender identity in at the, the community center that he goes to, um, where there's um, really a sense that different parts even of the LGBTQ community are kind of um, not capable of seeing the value or seeing the um, validity of trans people um, and, and putting him, and that was, that just always struck me the, that one marginalization too far. Um, you know, we should all be on the same side, obviously, but then you have people that have just, you know, accomplished so much in the last few years now turning around. And it made me think about history. You know, history just continues to repeat itself. You see this happening in, in the, in the uh, civil rights movement. You see it happen in the immigrant movement. You know, one of the strangest things for me to see as a teacher, I used to teach social studies, was how the Italians, you know, just, you know, 10 years later, treating the Irish like they're, you know, the bottom of their shoe. And you, this is just, I don't know, I guess it's just part of human nature is what we do. But this is really well reflected in this story. And I just thought it was heartbreaking to see. Now we have this, this, um, this trans hate not coming from the, the, uh, quote unquote straight world, but coming from the the uh, the LBGTQ world as well. I think the fact that Felix does go on this continued journey to find the right way that he feels he should identify himself and and finds this term demi boy. I think the internal like thought journey that we see him go on through the text is so important because I feel like it reflects some of the internalized like transphobic and, and homophobic messaging that I know a lot of my friends and people I know who are part of the LGBTQ um, 
community have experienced with you know being told oh it's just a phase it's it's just trendy these days to be non-binary and i think those messages are so harmful and we see when felix is questioning it and is afraid to acknowledge that maybe he's not so sure he's 100 a boy one it shows us that those messages are so infectious and insidious but Two, I think it's positive that, I think it's important that there's a, a positive resolution that Felix emerges feeling more confident than ever in his identity by the end of the text and that it, it, it affirms the fallacies of those messages that he's been receiving uh, and, and gives him a sense of, of surety or at least more confidence in who he is and that those messages are not and, uh, you know, Boyd and Barrett are kind of get to that. And uh, the article was written in 2017. So just a few years even before um, Felix. But again, we kind of get to this um, evolution, I think, as Damon said at one point, of these texts from something like Luna to a place where Boyd and Barrett are saying we need representation of people, people of color in the trans narrative. And then now, three years after the Boyd and Barrett article, we have Felix. And uh, in many ways, we can look at Felix as a more complete representation. But again, you get that, like I said, those multiple marginalizations and um, how that makes it even more difficult for him to navigate um, coming to an understanding of his own identity. Yeah, I think Felix is such an important example of intersectionality when we're talking about privilege. Because um, I, I fully agree that as looking at the very supportive friend network and, and supportive school that he is in, that is a privilege that a lot of the trans people I know have not had. But you're at one point in the text, he talks about how as a as a black trans person, his life expectancy is his early 30s. And so even though he's in this supportive network, he still has that awareness of what what the rest of the world means for his acceptance. And they do talk about how um, some of the other characters, specifically those who are um, male, white, cis, and gay are really just like, you know, one step away almost from like full privilege. Like they're, I don't want to say that their only marginalization is that they're gay, but they're able to, to wield more power in society than Felix himself can. Um, and I, so I think that Felix is a really valuable text for talking about those issues of privilege and intersectionality and how those different facets of identity work to create power and privilege. If you look at the end of the article or at the bottom of the page where Bridget was just reading, it says that the field as a whole is in desperate need. I think that's what you were talking about, Melissa, how this is kind of filled in this this gap that was there four years ago. Um, and I'm sure there's other books that we, we haven't talked about. Uh, but if you keep going down, it says more books are needed in which transgender characters identify as such, but do not uphold the gender binary, 
I think we checked that box too. And then the last thing is finally, we hope to see more texts in which being transgender is not the sole focus of the book, but in which a person is transgender, yet the plot revolves around other events. And I think that might be the next step that we see happening. I did want to make one comment, though, that struck me about the, um, the difference between this book or the, the thing that maybe the author is trying to accomplish in this book or one of the things that's trying to be accomplished is now you see this, um, this, uh, this bigotry and you see it with, um, oh my gosh, what's the boy's name that Ezra is uh, liking? Austin. The boy Austin. that hangs hang with Austin, yeah. Um, both Austin and actually Marisol, both demonstrate this tension within the queer community and expose some of the the jealousies or the hatreds or um, the bigotry from Austin and Marisol is one of the points that the author is making in the in this progress you know it's not something that's dealt with in Luna but it's something that's dealt with I think very well in Felix is this idea that the, the the marginalized community uh, that has made progress is now going to turn against the folks that are still uh, fighting for scraps at the table, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, also, in terms of again, one another one of the scenes um, at the community center um, in the group that Felix is going to. There's a sense of almost an ageism as well. Um, where the older generations um, in the LGBTQ community are kind of looking at, not looking down on, but um, are wanting um, newer generations to kind of realize their privilege that um, they kind of got on the backs of these older generations and how they fought to um, at least get some semblance uh, of or some sense of representation and um, autonomy as a community um, that a lot of the, the the things that the younger generations are kind of fighting about or, or fighting with internally um, is they can only do those because the 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 fight had already been started years and years and years ago um, it's also interesting to me um, kind of that evolution you were talking about, Damon, um, from the Boyd and Barrett article about um, we, we need more representation of um, texts that show gender not as a binary, but as a kind of um, spectrum. And again, that's a diff kind of difference between Luna and Felix. Um, in Luna, you very much get that Luna is a woman you know she is a girl she identifies as female and there's very much that difference between she's either Liam or she's Luna you know and um, that 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 identity actually kind of flips back and forth even the pronouns flip back and forth um, Reagan's use of Luna's pronouns flip back and forth depending on how Reagan is seeing her at the time um, but with Felix we get a very much broader understanding of um, how gender is kind of seen as a spectrum and, and how Felix can kind of move on that. I mean, uh, he eventually um, realizes that he's a demi-boy um, 
meaning that he mostly identifies as male, but there are times where, um, you know, saying I'm a man, saying I'm a boy is, it doesn't quite ring true as well, certain right. situations. Um, and so you, you very much get, again, that kind of shift, that evolution of um, not only how we talk about these subjects, but also how um, we, we have kind of internalized and started thinking about these things. Yeah, you get it. The at the that word surety was was very interesting to me. Um, just because reflective of him, Felix very much like you were saying does go on this journey and kind of is trying to discover exactly where he fits in. Um, there's a lot of discussion within the book about the importance of or should we even be labeling these things. Um, and many of the characters kind of say that no, the label is something that I need. It's something that. Um, helps me understand and helps me know um, kind of where I fit in and lets me know that there are other people who think like me, who feel like me, and who have had these same questions. Um, and in that, that, that realm, um, on page 288, um, Felix says something very interesting. It's about um, him possibly entering to, to have his artwork displayed um, in the gallery. And it's the same gallery where Austin had put up pictures of him um, before he began transitioning. So a very much an identity and a name. Also, I really like that they never actually really say what his dead name was, you know, um, because that's not the that's not the point for this novel. Yeah. Um, well, and I kept I kept thinking, well, I've missed it. I've I've missed it. You know, did I miss it? Yeah, no, they're they're really very much, um, and that was another thing. the The way that they very much respected um, mm -hmm. the the text as it itself very much respected the identities of the different characters. Um, the use of the pronouns they um, in in you know referencing Bex and yep. and just making sure like mm -hmm. every single time they were spot on you know that in luna that kind of jarring back and forth between talking about luna as both he and she um you know it was was kind of kind of jarring for me at least mm -hmm. um but here they very much make sure that they are um using that terminology and using the language um that truly represents those characters um and Kind of on that note, um, on page 288, Felix says, I don't know. The idea of reclaiming the lobby, the very space that hurt me, feels better than I thought it would. And kind of that idea of reclaiming the language, reclaiming the labels even, reclaiming some sense of that binary or, re or breaking it down in such a way that you're revising it um, becomes kind of a theme, I think, in Felix that allows them to more completely and more um, understandingly um, or, or, or at least describe it in terms where um, other people can understand it more. Um, it, it's, it's putting a word to what they've always been feeling. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I want to go on with that too, when talking about using the correct, you know, the correct wording. And so, those um, individuals won't have to worry about, you know, like you said, going, going back to um, hearing their dead name and the pronouns that used to apply to them. Um, 
Lindsay and I were talking right before um, we started and I was sharing with her that I don't really have very many, if any, personal experiences with um, a trans male or trans female. Um, there are people in my family, my husband's side of the family, who um, may be gay or lesbian, but I have not... Um, been in a friendship or just haven't have not had the opportunity. Um, but what I am aware of is that that doesn't mean that I never will. And going into um, my first year of teaching coming up, I know that there's going to be these conversations coming up. And I really, I thought it was in a way kind of ironically funny in the very first paragraph of the article it says this does not mean however that as a cisgender white southern female um that i'm always within my own space of familiarity thomas crisp and suzanne um, kesnick note that we can learn just as much from our students as they can from us that students equally help us identify our limitations as critical multicultural readers and teachers and that's just something that really stood out to me too even as i was going back and looking at the text i think as teachers we have to admit that there are going to be times when we we don't get it you know there's going to be terminology that's brought into our classroom that we're we're not used to hearing you know at home or within our circle of friends and I take it upon myself, especially after reading these two books, I take it upon myself to really embrace my responsibility to these students. So they feel like, you know, well, at least, you know, Miss, Miss Gray understands. She, you know, she knows I don't want to be called by this name. Um, regardless of how I feel about their lifestyle, it's my responsibility to at least be knowledgeable and ready to receive them. I totally agree with that. Um, I think this is a little bit of a jump, but one of the things that that um, really jumped out at me in the book was how Declan responded. And I know Declan is is uh, is gay, but at the same time, he responded to Lucky, and uh, it just it I don't remember when it was in their conversation or in their the progress of the relationship, but it, the thought occurred to me that. Declan doesn't know if Lucky is a girl or a boy, if he's, you know, what his sex is, what the gender is, any of these things, but they got to know each other regardless of that. And I just thought that was a real cool way for the for the author to structure it in order to, you know, a nice device in order to, to bring that about. I wondered if anybody else had thought about that. Lindsay? Yeah, I think that I picked up on that as well. Um, I think that speaks to kind of what Melissa was talking about with the the groups that Felix was going and talking to the the one member of the group who talked about in a perfect world there wouldn't be gender uh, and I, I think Declan not knowing who Lucky was other than Lucky's personality um, speaks to that idea and also Felix himself like Felix had previously dated Marisol who uh, identifies and presents as female but winds up with Ezra and has a, a brief I think all of those things are important 
again, for our students who can see themselves in these characters to see that representation. But I think it's also important for students who don't identify as part of that community to yeah. recognize the humanity and yeah. the shared experiences. I think Declan and Felix both talk about just wanting to fall in love. And it's something that everyone can relate to interaction with Declan. And so I do think those are important messages. I think that is so awesome. The way you put that at the end there, I love that. So that's going to be a great place for us to stop. Guys, it's been great fun doing this podcast with you. I kind of hate to see it end. Maybe we'll keep doing these as we go along and, and as we continue as teachers. That would be fun, wouldn't it? We'll just what? start our own show. That's right. <laughs> right. Well, until then, I'm Damon. Melissa. I'm Bridget. And I'm Lindsay. See y'all next time. For our readers, for our young readers.